is everyone using the correct microphones this time? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just gonna do the scratch test. Yeah. All good. Everyone, everyone tested. I won't dignify that with a test. So I just wanted to apologize for the the first eight minutes of the last episode. That was obviously pretty poor. Uh, both me and Jules messed up with our microphones. We certainly did, and we did we did say that it was going to be a tricky recording. Yeah, but not um, for me. It wasn't going to be for me. No, you were <laughs> you were at home. I was at home. I had the normal setup. I don't yeah, know why it was so true. bad for me. That is true. You were fine. Uh, like environment wise, me and Jordan were the ones away, and uh, Jordan was the one who got it right. Uh, so we do apologize for that. Yeah, everyone clap Thanks. Jordan. Thanks, guys. Congrats. Send me emails. So we do have some follow-up today. Uh, Jules, you mentioned that you were hoping the uh, Surface Phone Andromeda is the same thing, right? Uh, Would be out in March, but you've heard something different. I think I think I I, I put myself out there and I said that I wanted to hear about it from in March, Um, but other people seem to suggest now that that they're guessing October. So um, I, I. Am I allowed to change my guess? I think March March is a bit too... <laughs> you're not uh, really changing your so, guess. You're just kind of like saying, oh, someone said it's October, right. Well, I'm probably just going to have to change my I, aspir- aspirational yeah. hope. <laughs> I, I think that I think that's right, yeah. I, I, and I guess that does make more sense because the version of Windows that we're currently using is probably going to be the version that it ships with and it, it's not going to be ready in March. So, yeah, I suppose o- October makes more sense. Do you think this is a hardware thing or a software thing? Then you think it's a software thing? Well, they've they've recently been showing off these uh, these devices that run uh, Windows on ARM, and uh, they've got the uh, days of battery life and weeks of standby time, um, but they're not generally available yet. And also, the developer kits aren't really out yet. So I think if it's going to be an actual product release, um, there's, that's not going to happen in March, is it? Let's let's face it. Um, so it's probably going to be October, and then if if they announce it, then well, I don't know. I, I hope it comes out in the UK. Uh, it'd be, be really annoying if it didn't. Just on this topic, I saw I've I've been seeing quite a few things on like Twitter about like people running Windows on mobile phones. Do you know anything more than I do on that? Yeah, the, um, some some developers recently uh, worked out how to hack the Lumia. Uh, loaders so actually they can put other operating systems on there um so we've seen a number of lumia devices running windows rt and i believe i did see some people saying that they've got windows 10 on arm running on it but i don't really know where they've got hold of the the images Mm. necessary to do that um i did see people say it but it didn't look like windows 10 to me it may have been the pre-installation environment that they got up and running, which right. um, which does actually have its own windowing system. But uh, uh, I, I don't know. But yeah, it, it is it is the um, the Windows uh, on ARM, the full Windows uh, kernel mm-hmm. running on those devices, and it looks stupid because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's portrait portrait screen with these, yeah. with these set up windows appearing with tiny little fonts. Yeah, it reminds me of one of those like old. Um uh palm pilot kind of things you know like um i forgot what they called them the like uh handheld computers yeah from years and years ago yeah what was the general form factor name though but well the microsoft called theirs pocket pcs right uh, palm tops i mean i don't really know but the uh i had i had um obviously i had the microsoft ones but i did have one that ran palm os as well i had a sony one 
<laughs> I think we spoke about that in the previous episode, like yeah. way, way, way ago. Um, yeah, I really like those things. Okay, so that's, I guess that's, that wraps that up. Um, we spoke uh, a couple of episodes ago about uh, keyboards and how uh, me and Jordan are kind of, and, and in fact, you, Jules, had a new keyboard and me and Jordan were looking at new potential keyboards. I found one that I'll put a link in the show notes called the Ergodox EZ, or EZ, mm. they call it, like EZ, uh, but it's American. Um, and it's a very interesting uh, shape and configuration, and it's kind of intrigued me more than any of the the other um, ergonomic, like, well, not ergonomic, but uh, mechanical keyboards that I've seen. I don't know what you Well, it is an ergonomic this. keyboard, though. Exactly, so, yeah. yeah. Um, I can see exactly why this one intrigues you more so than the rest. I mean, given the fact that you do have um, more of a need than we do for an ergonomic keyboard, even though we use ergonomic keyboards and you don't. Which is, <laughs> Stupid, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually totally get why this keyboard is it appeals to you. But it also appeals to me because one thing that's quite interesting is you can actually change the key switches on this keyboard. So yeah. for people who, who are into these kind of mechanical keyboards, you can get these Cherry MX switches, or, well, these yeah, Cherry MX switches with different colors, right? And mm-hmm. basically, if you buy something like a, a WASD keyboard, so that's WASD keyboard, you have to choose the switches you want, and I believe you cannot replace these keys. I, I think so, you can. I think you can oh, you buy... Can replace, you can replace I, the keys, but I don't think you can replace the key switches because I, mm. I think you need to solder them. Um, and Yeah, you I might mean, be right. So I'm, this one I'm, lets you actually change the switches yeah, as well. Yeah, oh, it cool. does, which is great because that's the thing that stopped me from buying one originally so quickly was because I don't know which key switches I want. Now, you can get those testers, right? But mm. here, with this keyboard, you wouldn't need that. You could buy all, you know, you could have certain keys with certain switches and certain keys without. Do you know what I mean? That would be insane. Like, certain keys that would be, use a different taptic, like, it's not taptic, it's like a tactile button. Um, but yeah, no, but going back to why I, mm. why I kind of, I like this keyboard in, in the same way as you is, I like the layout of it in terms of the... Um, the split. I like the fact that it comes in white or black, and I like the fact yep. that it splits. And I also like the fact that it's got these little, um, like um, tilt and tent kit. Yeah, yeah, which means I can give it a hump, like my yeah, current could, keyboard. Yeah. Um, and it also comes with a like a rest, kind of like the current Microsoft ones we use. Yeah. My only concern, really, from my point of view, is I quite I've been using my Microsoft ergonomic sculpt. Mm-hmm. And I quite like how small the keys are. Um, so I, I go into mechanical, I'm totally down for trying. Um, and this one's got like an RGB backlit type thing. It's not backlit keys, but it's got like backlit LED on the, the base so, of it. It's on the bottom of the keyboard, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but I really like the way it's split out. And I like how it probably is quite portable. Um, do you know, if, is it wireless? Or not? It is wired. It's wired. It's wired, and the two sides do wire up into each other. Um, so I think it's. I think it's probably worth trying. You're gonna. Mm. You're gonna get one, Andrew. Well, so this is the thing. I. It's all right. Um, I do want an ergonomic keyboard. Um, I obviously suffer from a lot of RSI issues, so with something actually ergonomic rather than just something mechanical that is an existing layout like my Apple keyboard right now is way better for me. Um, and I do also like the fact that. This kind of, uh, they call it the, was it the ortho, ortho, ortho linear layout? Um, so basically all the keys are straight instead of kind of, um, not, you know, uh, what do they call it? 
So they they are they're lined up yeah. in columns. Yeah, essentially, right? Yeah, in columns. Um, which is quite nice. Like I think that I might help reduce some strain. And they've got like the the thumbs that can do, you know, all the control key uh, control keys, which is quite nice. So this does appeal to me. However, it's expensive, it's isn't it? Three hundred twenty five dollars, and it's like. I want to make sure, like, I haven't read much about this. I haven't seen much about it. So I want to get some reviews, you know, watched first before I invest. But I think this is totally worth it. I think it's, it looks kind of yeah. like a, a good idea for me. Would you get it in black or white? In black. The LED lighting? Would uh, you get it with the LED lighting? No, without. So, interesting. But you enough, can turn but... the LEDs off. I, I reckon you should get the LEDs. Yeah. You reckon? I totally think. I, would, I will go halfsies on it with you if you want. Yeah, but for what? So we share it. <laughs> you can't both. Yeah, use then it at you the same take time. one half. Then you take one half of the keyboard because obviously it's got two pieces, yeah. and I'll take the other half. Right. And <laughs> although the one thing yeah. that doesn't know me about this is, if you look, if you get the printed keycaps, the font on them is very large, and it's a, don't worry about it. You can replace them. Uh, well, exactly. Replace yeah. the keys. And so. I know that sounds stupid, but it's like it, if it's three hundred and fifty-five dollars for the lighted version, it's you know. It's quite expensive. Oh, cool! They've got differently. They've got um, so obviously you've got Cherry MX, but then they've got this Kaoli Cal Kale Carl Carl. Sounds like something Game of Thrones. Carl <laughs> thick like key, key switches too. So that's the other thing that's quite nice. Yeah, that you don't have to be stuck with Cherry MX. So, so there's a couple of options there. Cool. Yeah, it does seem like this is something that I will try. I think maybe I might order one in, in like next month or th- uh, next month or something. And you know, like the open source side of it is quite cool and they have some software to go with it. Um, so as long as you can customize it to work on your Mac, cause I know you need, you need, uh, right. um, what is it? The splat, you need the control, the command, the alt, the shift yeah. function. I think, how many, how I many think I'm giving up have? on that though. I think I'm going to give up on that, Jules. Yeah, but but look oh. at the actual keys. There is no wi- where, exactly. where the hell is the Windows key? There is no Windows key on this. Look at where the normal command bar keys are. It's arrows and like tilde and you know. So, so but the fact is that I can configure this to whatever I want as yeah, well. You could, you could. So there, there's something I can do there. And then with it being split, it means that you can then position it so your hands on uh, like folded inwards towards the keyboard. They're flat straight out, which helps with RSI. So yeah, I think this is something that I'll maybe look at ordering in a month or something like that. And you could buy, so like you didn't, you don't need the tilt kit to start with. You could buy that separately, or you could buy the uh, wrist rest separately. Yeah, and I was know. just gonna say the only thing that does worry me about it is how sturdy is it because it's got these little arms coming out of it to help with. Um, propping it up, kind of like the reverse hump does for these these sculpts. Yeah, if you look at them, they're metal. Um, they're actually metal and they've got those kind of screws in them that are very much like the mounts, you know, like the mounts that you get for your screen. So looking at them, I mean, it could go either way, obviously. They look pretty sturdy. I mean, I'm sure there's some reviews, right? Like on YouTube. Oh yeah. So there's, um, there's, there's a video as well by Linus Tech Tips. He's, he's apparently... He calls it a no compromises ergonomic keyboard that actually looks as good as it feels. Really? Mm. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good review. It is. That's a that's a very shiny review. That's why it's on their website. Um, so well, yeah, I think right. I, yeah. I want to see I want to see third party reviews really, uh, other than Linus Tech Tips because they'll send them it for free. 
it'd be nice to see someone who's actually bought it and gone, is it worth the money? But yeah, so that is something I'm um, looking at, and I'll, I'll keep you updated. Uh, Jules, how's your how's your new keyboard going? Yeah, it's been fine. Um, I would say uh, I'm a I'm a little bit concerned about the fabric on it because mm-hmm. I have noticed that uh, it seems to be darker where my hands have been. Um, but I'm actually gonna I'm actually gonna wait and see because I haven't I haven't really followed their instructions because their instructions say to use soapy water to um, to clean it. Yeah, and I actually use some special. Um, uh, I can't remember the name of the company that makes it, but it basically, it was like a special cleaner specifically for that type of fabric. And, um, I used that. It didn't really, it, it didn't really do anything. Right. So I'm, that's I'm worrying. Yeah. And I'm wondering if actually, um, if I, I just need to try again, but I just, I left it for now and mm-hmm. uh, I will try again at some point, but yeah, I, I'm a bit disappointed that it seemed to, to, to pick up where my hands were so quickly and this has been one that people have um it's been controversial for microsoft actually to use this fabric on their on their computers uh you know i i had seen both negative and positive things about it i thought i'd be okay um i don't know we'll have to wait and see yeah but, um it's still lovely to use i just i'm gonna be honest i don't like the way that it looks when it's got marks on it yeah, I did say a long time ago on this podcast that that, that felt on other products would be a problem. I kind of yeah. need this going in. Yeah, I I really wish that there was some kind Not of to rub it in. no no, and you know I I knew this was a thing, and and like I say, it still works fine. I'd be happy to use it. It's not going to stop me using it. Um, but in the past, I've always been pretty annoyed with the um the way that keyboards and mice in particular tend to be made out of materials that deteriorate over time and what you end up with is a nice shiny new mouse or something and then where you hold it the the rubber deteriorates or the paint rubs off or you know the the in this case the material gets marked i just i don't get it i i I don't get why they can't just make it out of materials that really last Mm. it's the washing machine thing isn't it like if they made a keyboard that lasted forever then they wouldn't have a market to sell more keyboards in like they've got to break at some point or get to the point where they're worn down not that that's probably what they're thinking but they're probably thinking that look there's a cost element of this um maybe maybe. so so obviously I had a I had a go on your keyboard um, when I was at yours a couple of weeks ago, and I think it feels lovely. I think the keys feel super nice. I think the lack of the hump I could probably get over. Um, oh yeah, you can. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't feel that different to yeah. me um, easily. Yeah. yeah, no problem. But it's definitely a base station, you know, work office keyboard that you don't really you can't really move. You know, you wouldn't want to be moving it around all the time. Um, agreed whereas the sculpt ergonomic keyboard uh i think uh th- to me this doesn't replace it no like this uh, this is a different thing this is this is more of a luxury this is your you know this is your home uh, home workstation or your power you know your where you do all your main coding or something but um i think the the sculpt ergonomic keyboard is more practical it's easier to move around a desk mm-hmm. as well and if you've got a desk where you're doing electronics or note taking or anything else on your desk, being able to move that keyboard around mm. is quite useful. And the Sculpt Definitely. Ergonomic keyboard is still better at that, I think. So 
it i i wouldn't say that it re- it doesn't replace it in my eyes i think no. it is it is not a replacement so don't worry jordan i'm sure they're still going to be making the the sculptor economic cube well that's the other thing right um you talked about obviously the plastic wearing down um i find that with the sculpt ergonomic keyboard it took a while it took at least six or seven months before the actual wear and tear on my keyboard became evident right like i it didn't quickly deteriorate and even still my current keyboard that i'm using which is count which is now now down south because i took it down south to the other office i'm working in at the moment um you can barely all the keys are absolutely fine right um yeah yeah, the, the, the fabrics, yeah, it's definitely marked where obviously I've had like sweaty palms, but that's from, uh, what, two years now worth of usage and it's still going strong, right? And the, the, the wear and tear on that fabric is negligible. Do you know what I mean? You wouldn't really notice it, yeah, uh, too much. So I, I, you know, with, with that keyboard, with, with the sculpt keyboard and, and its build quality, I'd say, you know, that's kind of the perfect balance between it wearing down and, you know, it looking nice still. Um, whereas, unfortunately, your Surface keyboard um, does not seem to have that it's, same yeah, kind of. It's it's just the fabric longevity. Yeah. But it, I, I I will say this: it does feel really really nice to use. The keys are much better than the other one, um, and generally, it just feels really really nice to use. It's, it is purely it's purely down to how that looks on the fabric mm. um and the and the fabric doesn't feel worn if you run your finger over it you can't feel any difference there it it just looks darker it just looks mm. darker and that that's maybe maybe that's our, maybe that was their intention but it's not like leather where you know it, it really to from what i gather it's like you get like a really nice leather like pouch or something and it starts to give you a lift you scratch here give it some character but that what is it alcantara yeah it just it just looks dirty <laughs> it does yeah i mean that's the thing if it if it looked like that everywhere it wouldn't be so bad but the problem is that it looks like that in the places where my thumb and my palm have rested but nowhere else which is dumb it just looks patchy if they did a black version i reckon it'd be quite nice because you wouldn't have yes. the same problem and yes i completely agree and and the the way that they do they do do colored versions by the way but not of this keyboard they do it they do them for the surface pro and for the surface uh, laptop Mm. they do colored versions and i think i would definitely get a colored version if i got a surface pro um, or a surface laptop which you know if, if i got one of those i would definitely go for a black one based on this experience um but the uh the, i mean the thing is that they've for the keyboard they've gone for that default color which is the the color this came out at the same time as a surface studio and it's the same color as a surface studio which is just the the magnesium alloy color um so they they haven't they haven't done multiple variants which i suppose would make it quite expensive but i would i think i would definitely go for a black one if there was one available it just it just seems like it would be a safer option for this because it's a lighter it's a lighter fabric yeah, I think it's the thing I hate most about keyboard wear down though is is the keys. The keys always feel way better when they're new, and then over time they lose that cover, and they just feel like oh, horrible, so, shiny. so soft. Yeah, and then an Apple keyboard feels really like, but there's like kind of like a not a powdery feeling to, there's texture to it, and after yeah. use it's just completely flat it goes, and soft. Yeah, it goes and shiny. I hate that. But. So, yeah. so we've just kind of had a conversation about keyboards and like using them and like you know what you. The difference between like the Surface keyboard, like, is your home base station powerhouse keyboard, right? But at work, you mentioned that at work, Jules, you basically don't have an external monitor. Um, 
and you don't work on an external monitor at work, really. And I, bringing this full circle into an actual, like where I'm getting to is, I was at the office yesterday and we have these 28-inch 4K monitors that we use and uh, at work and I usually have my Sculpt keyboard there, right? I usually have it, my Surface Book plugged in, close yeah. the lid and I'm ready to go. And I feel yeah. really super productive, like when I'm just one screen, one huge screen, tons of real estate, Surface keyboard, wireless keyboard, and that's no wires, I'm, I'm ready to go. But um, obviously I didn't have my Sculpt keyboard because it's down south. So I went to the office and I'm like, ah, this is stressful. So I plugged in my Surface. Um, yeah, straight, my, just yeah, straight the into screen. the screen and then just had it underneath the, the big screen and I was like, and it was really productive, but it, it just felt strange. And it kind of like makes me wonder if that's the kind of setup I would want at work in the future. I, I did that for quite a while. I just had the, the Surface plugged into a screen because um, you you know, I, anyone who knows me knows how picky I am about these DPI issues. Um, I hate switching between 200 and then back to 100 DPI. So we and don't have to do that on that 4K screen. Just no, you know. you, yeah, but you'd have to you'd have to choose like 175 or 150 or whatever to to, mm. to have a nice medium between them. But um, yeah, I just I hate switching between those, which is why I what I would do is I would and this I got this from my Surface Pro too, is that I would close the screen and just plug it into a keyboard, monitor, and mouse and and use it as a computer that way. Um, for the longest time and then I just kind of set, thought well actually now that the screen is larger on a Surface Pro compared to the old uh, surf- sorry the Surface Book compared to the Surface Pro I had I was just like well I'll just use this screen and plug it in and that and that worked fine and you can use all the gestures on the trackpad and, and everything else um, with that external screen and it just it works really nicely it's a good little setup hmm. and as you mentioned i um i don't tend to use an external keyboard f- uh with the surface book for probably the majority of the time that i use a, a, a surface book um and it's only really at home that i've had the keyboard and everything set up because i have those things at home you know i have a monitor at home i just because i didn't, didn't like that compromise i just didn't do it so um especially especially in an office environment where I was getting up, going to meetings, um, and then coming sitting back at my desk, I did not want to be plugging in and switching DPI in a situation like that. I just I just did not want that to happen. So instead I just said, Okay, I don't want an external monitor, I don't want an external keyboard, I just want to use a machine. And um I have not had any issues with this. Thankfully, um, I've never had any issues uh, with RSI from this. I've had I've had some RSI issues actually in the past, but I don't think it is related to the fact that I've been using this um, this laptop. I think it's just other things. But um, I would I'm quite productive like this. And if you can do that, Jordan, if you if you find that you're able to do that, try it. Try it for a while and see. Mm. You probably type a good deal on this on the on the Surface Book laptop. Uh, sorry, the Surface Book keyboard as it is anyway. So it's not like it's oh, not it's like not it's like, hard for you to type on. No, it's a lovely right? keyboard. Like I have no issue with this keyboard. Um, I just have a. <laughs> no, I'm like I'm going to say that I'm not a fan of this new 15 inch Surface Book Two, which we'll come on to. But I, it's the screen real estate that's the problem for me. Like I want, like I'm well, big, you you get big a on 15 inch one. <laughs> ah, but no, but I like portability. <laughs> I know, and, I know. And, uh, and it's like the, the balance, right yeah, and it's a balance, right? And so, don't get me wrong, like I, I can sit on the sofa and I can code, but when I'm in the zone and 
I, I you know, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, smashing I, through, through tasks or something. Then I, that 28 inch monitor, like we used to, this is an interesting one for you, Andrew, because you, you're kind of similar to Jules. Like you've got the 28 inch 4k monitor at work. Mm-hmm. Like I do, we have literally the same setup. It's keyboard, mouse, machine, 28 inch monitor. Yeah. But when we were down South and when we're down South, you kind of, you've, you've, to be fair, you've been using a external monitor but you're like oh no i'm fine without it and it's just like well i feel a bit bare i feel a bit like naked when yeah. i'm when i'm it's, like at work or at a desk and i yeah so I'm this not. this does kind of lead on to the next topic um that i wanted to talk about but yeah i there is a reason well, well actually just i'll try and be vague about it but there is a reason why i had to switch to using an external display down there when i had more real estate on my laptop uh, I I was I felt very comfortable using just a laptop to get stuff done on, and I mm. think the current situation um, is is also like I can do stuff on it, but I do want to. Um, I think I think it's just a bit too small to get like a good session done on, especially when you're at mm. desk, for example. Yeah, but, but sometimes as well, I I I I switch between them. Like sometimes I love being at a desk with it with a screen and a keyboard. And having a computer like that, but sometimes I do like the flexibility of being at a desk and just using my laptop instead directly, or kind of like you know, so you can slide off to the to the left a bit and like kind of relax or something like that. So mm. I I'd like to switch, which is why laptops are good because they they allow mm. you to do that. However, laptops in like clamshell modes and that kind of stuff is just such a pain in in the ass that when you have you know a, a desktop and then a, a laptop, it kind of works better. Because you can switch between I, them. Uh, I don't know. I would disagree. I totally get what you're saying in terms of like you know, switching between the clamps. Like it's it's shut and then it's open and you have to move around. But that means having two computers. Yeah, but it's also it's also bugs with with plugging into external displays like you guys have. That's with a Windows software problem, and... though. That's a software problem, unfortunately. If, if yeah, if but the that's software what I'm problem saying, wasn't the current state yeah. of play is what we're talking about. Yeah, but if the software problem was gone and everything worked flawlessly, which is where people are trying to get to with this kind of thing. Then it would be perfect. And to be honest, uh, the company that we're at right now, where we're we're, we're doing a little bit of work, um, the I've not had any problems apart from that first two days. It just kicked into life. And when I come go back and forth now between clamshell and and um, you know moving around for meetings, I've not had any problems, which has been really nice. Mm. Uh, but I'm convinced convinced that the surface book drivers are literally the main problem for every all the problems i'm seeing because i thought it was a surface dock and i plugged my plug my computer into the base just without the dock and it was doing it again it was like doing flashing flashy weird things i was yeah. like right thanks thanks for that you know it's not the dock I hope you're enjoying today's show. You can uh, find the show notes for today's episode at mavispodcast.com slash 16. And you can tweet us questions that we can answer on the show at Mavis Podcast on Twitter. So, Andrew, you mentioned that you you have now got a reason why you want to use an external monitor more, like there's something that's changed. Yeah, so um, as Jordan was just talking about, we're down working in a, in a new office, basically. And when I first got there, I... I was like, oh, I don't, you know, I, I feel comfortable doing work just on my laptop, like, and I'll need to move around as well, so having just a laptop is good. Uh, however, 
um, my 15 inch MacBook Pro uh, 2014 model, late 2014, um, has had a couple of problems recently. And I've seen this in the mm-hmm. past, however, it kind of went away. And now um, it was it was so bad. Um, I was actually scared of turning the thing off because I thought it would input key presses while I was trying to enter my password. Um, so I ended up with a MacBook Pro 13 inch, uh, the uh, non touch bar version, which um, a company actually bought, and Jordan picked that up. So, um, do you want to just quickly ex- uh, describe how, how it was in the Apple Store? I was given explicit instructions <laughs> on how yeah. to ask for this MacBook Pro. <laughs> so I'm walking into the Mac Apple Store. It's quite busy. They're always busy, and um, you know when you're looking for the Apple, the Apple Genius or whatever they're called. You know, you're like hunting them down with your eyes because people are already pestering them because they're pretending to to buy iPhones or something like that. Yeah. And I, I caught this guy's eye, um, and he caught mine, and I walked towards him, and he walked towards me, and we stopped at the MacBook Pro area. You know, I went, "Can I buy the MacBook Pro Escape, please?" And he went, "This MacBook Pro here, without without the touch bar." I was like, "Yes." That's the, I hate the touch bar and he was like me too me too good choice good choice and uh, then we lived happily ever after yeah so is, is, is that what it's known as the MacBook Pro Escape the MacBook Pro Escape is a reference that uh, I'm pretty sure Marco Armand made up on ATP on ATP um, alright yeah. so I'll put a link in the show notes if I can find that episode um, it was quite a long time ago but yeah when that came I mean, out it was it was codenamed the Escape just like the um, the, the baby MacBook was called the MacBook Adorable by CGP Grey, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I mean, I was both put up to doing this. I was like, no, I'm not going to go in there. I just want to buy the MacBook Pro and get out of the store because, <laughs> you know, I've got better things to do than, you know, have a some kind of joke with the Apple employee. But um, it went down quite well. And then I had to buy a 70 quid dongle to, so, so you could connect you, to it. Not you um, personally. Wait, in a, what, in was a way. The, what was the dongle for? Um, it was a USB-C to HDMI, USB, and power, if that right. Is it an official right. one? Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. So it's got it's got basically another USB-C port on it, a USB-A port, and a HDMI. Right. And it plugs directly and into the to one of the two USB-C ports on the 13-inch MacBook Pro. Right, and it has a USB-C... Also, the USB-C on it is for the power. Yeah, I, I assume so. So you can use it. You can continue powering so it. So you can charge through it. But I imagine that. I wonder if that USB C port on it is still as powerful as like, or if not, you know, very similar to the one that's actually on the machine itself. Well, I don't yeah. know. But I, it was yeah. I know. It wasn't me who bought it. It was the company. But it was just like you know when you're buying, you're like, I I really want that dongle, please. And he's like, yeah, 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 sure. And then you go, how much is it? And you'd like, oh, Christ. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It was. It wasn't even like. Like, I was expecting it to be, like, Apple prices, 40, 50 quid. But sixty nine ninety nine I was just like, whoa. It is an interesting that's price. Like, that's, like, almost the price of the Apple Pencil. Do you know what I mean? I, I guess, um, though, Jordan, when you usually buy adapters for, you know, uh, £30, they are just one-to-one things. So I guess what they've done is they've gone, oh, it has three things on it. Let's just uh, bump the price up, right? Is that how it works? Yeah. It's what, what really it has like... on the other end is... is dictates the price uh, but yeah so i did i did actually get this and uh it this this so yeah it's a smaller screen it's a 13 inch compared to the 15 inch that i had previously um 
And that and that does actually mean that your desktop is a different size. It uses like a different yeah, scaling, yeah, right? There's, yeah, there's less screen real estate. Now you could you can change the scaling to make it seem like you get the same amount of stuff on the screen. I could, but, but then I would lose the fact that it has a, a retina screen. Like it would still be nice, but it wouldn't be as nice. I, I get that. I get that completely because I know people who use the Surface Book with um, with re- like a 100 or mm. 125, 150%. And uh, I like 200 because, yes, you get less um, less information density on the screen, yeah. but it looks lovely. Yeah, and exactly. It, it, it's a good I size. I used to do that, though, with my MacBook Pro Retina. Like, in fact, to the point where I forgot that I had a Retina screen like at that. So before I got my Surface Book, I had a MacBook Pro, right? Um, mm. Retina, 30-inch, and... When I I gave it to my girlfriend a couple a year and a half ago or something, and I reset it, and I was like, "Oh my god, I've been using it in this <laughs> yeah. real estate mode where I can get the most out of it." But Jesus, <laughs> you yeah. know, like wow. I do. Um, I do actually like like my code editor is quite zoomed out. I guess you could say like that the fonts are smaller, so I can get quite a lot in there. Um, but it's still, yeah, it's still smaller real estate, less real estate than the 15-inch. And it's also, because it's a smaller laptop, it is, it just feels completely different to use. Like, having it on a lap, like, my, my wrists feel so much closer together than right. before. Is that, is that a good thing? No, that's a bad or thing. Bad that, thing. That, that hurts. A bad it, thing. Means, it means when I'm on, like, a sofa, I have to keep shuffling around. I mean, you were sat there the other night, and I don't know if you noticed, but I had to keep, like, putting it on the table and writing a bit of code there and, like, putting it on my lap and then, like, switching up and, like, crossing my legs and... Well, I just, did have you did you guys actually compare the compare them size wise? Because I haven't had a chance to see this this MacBook yet. Um, did you actually see what they look like next to a, a Surface Book? Because I've, no, actually, my Surface no. Book is thirteen inch, and I don't feel like I'm too cramped on it. No, neither. And um, but it, there is a quite a substantial size difference. If you put the um, MacBook Pro thirteen inch on top of it, there's there is it's quite there's quite a big size difference. It's including quite a display small. display wise, the displays. Much smaller, like the, less less bezel around the side. Yeah. Um, By the way, I'm, I'm not complaining about the bezel on the um, on the Surface Book because you know it's a tablet. It needs it needs some space on the side, mm. but there is there is a bit of a bezel on it. I mean, the it's definitely got smaller though. And I was just going to say that obviously when we we uh, Jules we compared my iPad Pro and the the just the tablet part of the Surface Book, and they were pretty much the same a long time ago. So it's essentially just the base left plus in, in yeah you know, but also the, the surface book is a weird thing to do a size comparison with in terms of uh height because of the the gaping hole between the middle yeah it's because yeah it's when it folds over there's a gap uh, when it opens up it becomes larger because of the way that the the hinge kind of goes flat and it makes mm. the device have a, a larger footprint which i actually hated until i used it and now i think it's totally worth it because for that exact same reason that you talk, you just said, I don't feel like it's too small. I don't feel like it's too big. Yeah, and I think that helps. I I, I would say that the. I mean, I I probably do this every time I get um I get a new computer. I don't know a new portable computer, but the Surface Book is probably um the best uh, laptop I've ever used uh, by far. And previously, I would say actually that the MacBook was for me. Um, but the way that it, yeah, the way that it kind of flattens out um gives it a really sturdy base but it, but it does mean that um the dimensions are somewhat different to a traditional laptop like when you open it up it's like different sizes in different places and mm. and obviously the screen is detachable so you can use it without 
um, without the base and so on. Yeah. Um, so, so the actual kind of dimensions are a bit weird, but I, I suppose it's, it's the thing that really matters is, is how it feels when you use it. Like when you're actually, you know, when it's open and you're trying to use it. Um, and for me, that's pretty good. Now, for this for this new MacBook, it's quite thin. Is the, is the is the keyboard is it top heavy or anything? Does it feel like it's right? So, uh, in comparison to my my fifteen inch uh, MacBook Pro, it's way different. It's so much smaller, so much thinner, and so much lighter. Um, and that's that's cool. the The main problem I have with it as well is into like the keyboard, the travel on it, because because they got it so thin. It means that the keyboards, the, the travel on the keyboard is so much less, which means you, you kind of feel like you're tapping, like, I don't know, a piece of paper against a, a brick wall, and it's like kind of going in a little bit, but that's it. Like, it doesn't really go any further. So the key travel is really, really low. That's one of the things that they were the really proud of, wasn't it? They were yeah, really proud of those keys. And there's two things about it. One, it sucks to type on, and two, they keep breaking. The amount of people yeah, who have had, yeah, we've, I've, I've heard of this breaking, yeah, have had problems um, and had to return and get fixes. And the problem is with a key, if if one of your keys goes and it, they can't just pop another cap on or something, um, then you have to get an entire base replacement because the keyboards have to. Well, sorry, you have to remove the entire motherboard to get the keyboard out of these machines. So it's ridiculous. Anyway, uh, so that is one of the main problems with it. Yeah, this is why I've had to start using a. Uh, a display again with it at this office because it's two two questions are the keys not the same kind of keys as the apple keyboard the new wireless keyboard apple one with the lightning connector on it are they not, uh, it's not the same? so i have the the magic keyboard with me here and they That's are the one. not the same no the, these i love this keyboard like if you can hear that like <laughs> so would you prefer if it was using the same keys then yeah yeah for sure for sure, but the fact but is, it wouldn't it be as thin, or there'd be more key press uh, imp- imprints on the screen, I guess, from all the oil. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but that's why okay. because they reduced the, the travel to make it thinner. It makes a horrible noise as well. It's like, is that it? Yeah, uh-huh. and it's just like it's like just tapping the metal base. It's really annoying. Apple were always really good with their notebook keys, right? Always really good with the notebook keys. The um, original, you know, the MacBook, the plastic MacBooks, the black and the white ones, really lovely keys. Yes, they had a few plastic problems with the cases. But my favorite Mac is the one I had, which was the MacBook Pro written a 13-inch, the 2014-15 one, I think. And those were the perfect keys for, right? Like, for me, those were perfect keys. And if you look at the Surface Book... They have like a similar, complete, complete, yeah, completely different Different material. Yeah, different shape, but it's all about the travel distance. They feel very similar to the, because I had the the MacBook before this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they do feel very similar. And that is the sweet spot for notebook keys, being honest, like from my point, as well, maybe Mm. as a software engineer and someone who writes a lot of code and does a lot of typing. I do like them. Yeah, that's that's got to be the, the the sweet spot. But now they've got rid of that travel distance to the point where it's just like this flat thing and I can kind of see the appeal. Like, I I wouldn't mind maybe using that for something like e- writing a few emails here or there, when I'm or maybe maybe make, making a couple of notes. But even then, yeah, but I think that's that's where the this is where they should draw the line, though, isn't it? Because it's the, that's the difference between a MacBook and a MacBook Pro. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's mm. where the line should be. I mean, the MacBook, yes, have your super thin keyboard, but the MacBook Pro, you want a Pro keyboard. Mm. 
Yeah, and the fact that it the fact that it, it, it keeps breaking is the fact, you know just shows that it is not a broke keyboard as well. And the sounds horrible. Mm. Like it's like I was sat we were I was in a meeting the other day and I was sat there typing on this keyboard and I was like, this keyboard's really horribly loud. Like it's not even a nice loud. Like it's just a horrible clacky loud. And I was like, they must all be just like. And I was trying to do it quietly. Everyone's like, look, it's real self-conscious. Yeah. The keyboard just because sounds. of the keyboard. I was like, this is not how it should make me feel. But yeah, I agree, Jordan. Mm-hmm. The, Cause the, those keys on the 13 inch that you had are the same ones on my 15 inch. Yeah. And they are nice keys. Yeah. Which leads me to my next question. Are you going to switch back? You're going to, you're going to get yours prepared, right? And you're going to get it. So you're going to switch back to your 15 inch. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm going to have to at some point. However, given our schedules, it's, it's a difficult thing to do right now. So, um, I need to book that in and plan that out, but but what, what I'm trying to get is, would you prefer to be working on your current your 15 inch or the 13? You know, given given the fact that now you ha- you know you've you've spent some time with it and it's a new machine versus your old one. There's there's two there's two problems with it. Well, there's there's it's a bit of like a an interesting one because one it's smaller and lighter, and that is really really nice for traveling around in, and also when it like that USB C port, yes, it is a seventy pound dongle, and there is a spare USB C port. But it means that when I get to that desk, I could literally just plug in one cable, and it's got power, it's got you know display, and my keyboard's there already, so it's connected, and I could plug in a USB cable for my um, you know lightning cable, yeah, or whatever. You're kind of treating that like a dock, exactly. It's, it's it's not a dongle that you're carrying with you; it's like a dock. Yeah, so it's like my experience of what you guys have with the Surface Dock, with right? The Surface Dock, which is really yeah. nice. Uh, but yeah, and it, it is smaller and lighter. And it means it's traveling around, you know, it's kind of nice to have on your lap a little bit, although too quiet. And now the MacBook Pro 15 inch, the, the previous model, the 2014, sorry, feels huge, feels bloody massive. It's It weighs a ton. And it's like, I don't know if I can go back to lugging that thing around because like I was used to it before and now it's going to feel like I'm, you know, I've got bricks in my bag. And, and I don't know about that. However, the keyboard is nicer. Um Obviously, when that thing does get repaired, I'll probably just have to get used to it again. That's the thing, isn't it? You're getting that one repaired, and then um, hopefully it'll be, you know, working again. We'll have the touchpad and the keyboard working yeah. as it should. And then when you, and then well, we'll we'll wait and see if there's a new, because hopefully, if if Apple have got any sense, they are listening to this feedback about <laughs> the. Oh yeah, MacBooks. for sure. Yeah, for sure. And then maybe there'll be another one that kind of improves the things that aren't so good yeah. but then also has that that you know better size now now saying this um something that i kind of mentioned last night to you guys in slack or the other night i don't know i don't remember anymore uh, all the days have been messed up um was that i like the idea of having an imac pro here at home in the future and then an imac at my desk in in our in our company office and then that would be like that would solve all these problems because I, then I wouldn't mind having this 13 inch pro as a portable as a machine. portable machine just to go to a meeting with, for example. Or <laughs> but then you've around. got three computers, <laughs> right? But the fact is, I have, I have, I have that now. I mean, if like yes, the the 15 inch is out of service, but I have this iMac and the MacBook Pro, and they're in sync right now. And any like, I don't have to worry about files being out of sync or configurations being out of sync yeah mm. i mean as a as a user of uh, of multiple uh, virtual machines rather than actual computers i mean with for me personally with one note 
sorry, OneNote, um, OneDrive and uh, Git uh, and just general kind of synchronization across machines. I'm usually I'm usually pretty okay with having. I mean, it does mean that you have to install multiple versions of things and do multiple updates of things, but. Um, you know, I can be just, I can actually be just as productive. Like I can switch machine. Mm. I don't, I don't necessarily need one environment. And I've always kind of said this, like I, I want it, I want all of my computers to feel like I'm only using one computer and to have something that continues across all of them. But I don't, I don't actually care if it's got, you know, if it's multiple computers, as long as you get that feeling. Yeah. And if that means that you can sit down and do a git pull and then just work somewhere and that it, whichever computer it is, then, you know, it doesn't really matter the amount. Yeah. I mean, so well, this will be obviously in the future, we'll have to work something out. Um, and like this, this machine will be becoming just a communal office Mac when ever yeah. something happens. Just a, gen- a general Unix machine, which is yeah, always handy exactly. to have. So there will be a change here um, in the future. And we'll see what that is. Yeah, we'll have to see. All right, guys, I, I just made you watch a video of uh, Nintendo. Yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah. What, what do you think? So this is for Nintendo Labo. Yeah, so um, I have a few questions, I think. Uh, but yeah. first of all, I think that... They obviously had this in mind when they were building the the switch uh, switch sensors. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that they were doing that. They have the possibility to do this kind of thing. Like this doesn't like technology wise. It seems like it's quite cool and also planned. Like if they shipped them and then were like, "Oh, look, we can also do this." Is like, nah, you 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 had this in mind. I don't know. I, I mean, the thing is, they made those. They they put all their sensors into those uh, controllers uh, deliberately so that they could do all this crazy stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, they. I think they know that they want to do all this crazy stuff. Whether they were going to do it in this exact way or not, I don't know. To me, this. Uh, so just to kind of for people who don't know what N- Nintendo Labo is, um, currently there are two different packages. Uh, one is $70 and the other one's $80. And uh, what they include is a number of sheets of uh, cardboard. Uh, it, and you basically um, snap out, so it's got uh, perforations uh, in it already, and you snap them out and you can use them to build various toys, for want of a better word, for your Nintendo Switch. And they also, each of these packages also comes with some software. So it's not just the cardboard. There's also some software involved as well. So right. this, you know, $70 seems like a lot, but if you consider the fact that it's a game as well, mm. um, $70, $70 is not uh, a good chunk of that is for the game. Because uh, obviously I, it is I would be just so, cardboard. But. So angry if I accidentally messed up one of the cardboard things though, because then you'd have to reorder the entire pack, which then, yeah, then would I, be annoying. I, I, so I, this is a question that people have had about spares and things like that. I'm sure that I'm sure there will be a way of getting some spares at some point. Um, but yeah, I mean the, the choice of cardboard here means that it is definitely not a permanent thing. Um, you know, this isn't, this is, uh, uh, this is the kind of toy that you take out of the box straight away. This isn't the kind of toy that you actually keep in the box this Mm. is you take it out you use it and you play with it um and what you do is this like i said there's two two different kits uh there's the second one is a robot one and i'll talk about that one in a second but um like the first one for example the piano which is the first one of the first things you see in the video yeah 
uh, it's got various parts of cardboard that you have to take and fold up and kind of join together. And there's bits of um, string and elastic and other bits and pieces that go inside these as well. And for the piano, for example, you slide the switch into the front so that you can see a screen. And then you put one of the Joy-Con controllers into the side. And the uh, the one that they show is the red one. Um, they're, they're not always red and blue, but uh, in yeah. this case, they, they use the red and blue version. And the red one has an infrared sensor um, at the top right. of the... The other one doesn't. So they, 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 the two Joy-Con controllers actually have slightly different sensors, right. which allows for this flexibility. Um, but it is using the infrared sensor inside it to then mm-hmm. see which keys you're hitting and then playing the notes for that particular um for that particular key which is really cool you know you can yeah, make your yeah. make a piano and then you can customize it with stickers and tape and uh, they do actually sell a customization kit um but you can color it in you can paint it it doesn't matter you can do whatever you want and make your own crazy looking piano um i i think it's a really cool idea i think it's a really cool idea I don't know whether they thought about this from the beginning when the Switch came out, but I think it's likely that they were probably trying to think of something along the lines of Google Cardboard. And someone said, oh, can we try and do something like Google Cardboard for doing VR? Yeah. But the, the Switch is a little bit heavy for that to put on the, to put on the, the uh, like a phone. Like on and your face. Phone. It's just a little bit too heavy for that. Um, You're to so I think, I think... I think that's probably where the ideas came from though. And they thought, well, what else can we do? And they came up with all this, this, this crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, it's worth mentioning that actually the second one, the the robot one, which we also see in the video. Um, the first one is like a mis- miscellaneous kit. So you get like a, a, a crazy remote control car type thing. You've got like a fishing rod and piano and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. The second one is all about this robot kit. And they show um, they show a kid with a backpack on in it, and he's playing a game, and uh, you know controls the robot by um, basically pulling levers and string and things that are connected to this backpack, and that moves various parts of cardboard inside, which is then recorded by the sensors. This is this is quite complicated in, inside. Yeah. Yes, it's made out of cardboard. But the way that it's actually built inside is very clever. There's a good bit of engineering in there. There's like multiple elastic bands. There's multiple bits of string um, and all sorts of bits and pieces that mean that you, when you pull one lever, the sensor inside can see that you've, you know, done a particular type of movement and then the game responds to it. It's, it's pretty cool. It's it's a pretty cool idea. This, this, it seems like to me, like it's aimed at children, right? It's aimed at kids. Oh yeah, it is. It's quite good. This, this is kind of reminds me of so when i was younger i got like one of these like build your own combustion engine kits like you know they used to have those like stand-up tools i don't know like if you packs like if you ever saw those i don't know maybe jules you might not have but jordan no i don't i don't okay i, don't know. I had transformers when i was a kid <laughs> okay. i don't know i'll try and find something and put it in the show notes um but essentially it was like like it was like, all right, you build this 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 thing, um, and it ends up being a combustion engine. It's quite cool, and it's like electric powered and stuff. Um, no, that sounds like a, quite a lot of um, it's quite a lot of work. Like and like, yeah, it, like there's instructions, but the fact is, like me and my dad ended up doing it. Did together. it come in a magazine? No, no, it was like a standalone thing. Um, just because, and I was just like, oh, hey, dad, let's do this thing together. And I imagine now if if parents are buying these from the kids they're going to have to make sure they have time to sit there and actually build yeah specifically that one um 
with the with the the kids, which is I I me. think they're non they they look non trivial to me. To exactly, build. some of them they they scale up. The the robot one looks like the most complicated. Uh, for sure mm. but yeah they, they certainly scale up in terms of um how complicated they are to build yeah they don't they don't look they don't look trivial the um the instructions in typical it is very nintendo like the way that it looks and everything is extremely nintendo yeah. and um the instructions are all in the software so you, ah. you know you, it walks you along how to build it um which bits you need first uh, and so on um, and cool. then you can test it and yeah. everything else. It's it's good that they um they're actually uh, shipping like actual versions of these that are like cardboard in the box because I cannot imagine how badly these would turn out if it was left to people's imaginations and resources well, themselves. Just make it themselves. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean that's interesting, and this is speculation at this point, but I'm sure that um you know after seeing this it will inspire other people to do similar kind of things with the Nintendo Switch. So they do, they do have the ability to do indie games on it, but um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I don't know I don't know how far people will take it, but it just shows what can be done, and I I like it. There was there was a kind of mixed response because of course a lot of people took the Mickey and then would do things like they would show a picture of the cardboard uh, cut out for Nintendo Labo, and then they would show you know a really high end PlayStation Pro mm. game or something like that, and say oh yeah look at Nintendo ha ha ha. <laughs> but come on, right? This is this is. It, this is for people who want that kind of joy from playing with this stuff. You know, yeah. it's, a, it's a kit. It's fun. It's clearly aimed at children or, or people who are, you know, kids at heart. I don't think sh- anyone should feel um, ashamed if they, if they're like, if they think it's a good idea and that they're not a child. I think of course it's for anyone really. The Nintendo switch in general is for anyone. Um, but I, I feel like it's so Nintendo. There was one bit where, cause I watched this, um, I watched this for the first time the other day. And there's one part where they have what is what they call, I think they call them remote control cars, but obviously they're not cars. They use the vibration motors in the, um, in the Joy-Con controllers to actually move this, this cardboard thing around. And they're using the Nintendo switch as a controller, right? So you're using the console Mm. as a controller to control a, like uh, a, a car toy thing that uses the controllers as the engine. So, it's just, it's just so like back to front. It's that, it's that kind of weird thinking that, yeah, that makes Nintendo cool and and always have. And I think you know the way that that printed cardboard looks with that little classic Nintendo rounded off logo mm-hmm. just printed on it um yeah it's it's it it's nice to see i just i really this company keeps on innovating they they keep on coming up with all this crazy stuff it will this make me buy a nintendo switch no not personally but does it make me like nintendo more yeah absolutely i am having a frustrating time with my windows ecosystem at the moment i feel like over the last couple of weeks the performance of my surface book or maybe windows 10 has degraded and I, I can't really I'm not sure if that's you know this whole spectrum meltdown thing and it's fallout from that but more importantly I find that problem is with Visual Studio more I, than I think, I think actually you, you, we've said this before you really do need to install Windows but Visual Studio 2017 has had a rocky history of updates yeah and and like like let me just put this into context like we 
I've been using Visual Studio 2015 for a, pro- a couple of projects that haven't moved up because of the you know the tooling changes with ASP.NET Core and Core 2 and the whole project.json versus uh you know CS projects and X projects and oh god that mess but more recently I've been using VS 2017 and I'm finding that I was on like 15. Three, so version fifteen dot three, not Visual Studio twenty fifteen, but Visual Studio twenty seventeen. Yeah, fifteen dot three. And that was relatively stable. And I'm not sure if it's just this project that I've opened and converted to twenty seventeen in the last few weeks, or it's fifteen dot four. But things like the Rosalind analyzers, they crash. So, for instance, like I was renaming uh, a load of methods on an interface and it was like i will rename all of these for you and in visual studio 2015 that would have gone yep done and it crashed it crashed and then i, I reloaded it again it crashed was it crashing I, out visual studio devm.exe wait well no no it was crashing the the analyzer and it came up with um oh no there was a problem with this extension do you want to see the stack trace so i had a look and it was like there's no reference exception i'm like oh christ but then i was like right there's an upgrade for visual studio 2017 to 15.5 so I upgraded to 15.5 and I did the same thing and that full-on crashed out Visual Studio. Every time now it full-on crashes DevNV. Interesting. And I'm getting a bit annoyed really because like this whole update pattern, they've shifted the whole update pattern, right, for Visual Studio now. We, we, you know, we're under the impression that Visual Studio 2017 will be the last like version with a, like a year mm, on it aren't we yeah i don't know I, I was surprised that they actually put a year on the end to be honest because i thought i thought they would rebrand it um at the time and they probably they probably will and they're getting to that but the 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 previous like release cycle of visual studio was what four a year one a quarter the, that was that was the idea yes they would do an original release and then yeah and then, uh three updates on top of it yeah and Visual Studio 15 was the last one to do that, right? It was the last one to have that kind of up- upgrade cycle. Yes. And Visual Studio 20, uh, 2015 was relatively stable. It still is. I still use it. It's relatively stable. Yeah, it, it is now. Originally. It is now. Yeah, it wasn't originally. Fine. Granted. But 2017's on its like sixth update. I think 2017, uh, from, 2016, from, 2017. from my experience, has um, has been... I, I, I kind of want to say one good, one bad, but I don't yeah. know if I can say that. I, it, I, I would argue it that feels it feels along one, those lines. I would argue that it's one good, three bad, two bad, three, no, one good, two bad, three, no, one, one good, <laughs> three, three bad. And this next one is bad as well. So maybe, you know, so yeah, I get, I know what you mean. I haven't. So with I, the machine that I usually use, uh, for, uh, with visual studio 2017, I didn't actually update it to the very latest release yet. Uh, but I have not experienced the kinds of issues that you're talking about for a long time. I think the last time I probably experienced those was around 15.1 or 15.2. Um, since then, I've had each update has been better every time. Um, and I have also tried the, the preview versions as well. Um, which, uh, uh currently is on 15.6. We've got 15.5. That's just been released to the stable, um, release, which you're saying is not stable, but, um, and then 15.6 as the, as the, as the preview version. Um, I, it's, 
you know, it's not been so bad for me. So I think it could be a, a, like a project specific thing, a solution specific thing. But I have had those things before where various bits and pieces just didn't work. Um, an example for me for, uh, for a pretty frustrating one was that the Azure extensions didn't authenticate. They just did not authenticate. And that mm. means that you cannot deploy from Visual Studio. You cannot explore anything from Visual Studio. And I had that for about two different versions in a row. I saw the release notes for that, actually, that they fixed it. It was like something to do with the authorization headers. Yeah, and it was, but it was super frustrating because I had a version that worked. I updated it and then it didn't work. And those are the kinds of things that you need to do every day to be able to actually, you know, see where you're publishing a function to or something. Um, so I understand, I agree that that it's a little bit more risky, I think, living on this update cycle. And I see people who don't, up, you know, because you can see it from a mile away, right? If you see someone across the office who is using Visual Studio and they've got that big uh, orange flag in the corner, hmm. that, that means, hey, by the way, there's an update to Visual Studio available because usually it just has a little purple number if it's yeah. just an extension. Uh, and I see people who who have that that alert, that light shining in the top for, well, weeks before they before they eventually get around to updating it because they say it's slow. I'm the kind of person who sees that the update's available and just wants and, it and goes for it. Yeah, I, I may not do it that day. Like I may not do it right away. It depends if it's on a if it's on a virtual machine or something. I may not do it straight away if I'm actually working, if I'm trying to get something done. But I, but often what I do is I do it at that lunchtime or I do it that evening. Yeah, so I, I did I, mine yesterday. I don't leave it for too long. Um, but yeah, I've done that. And then I've just been unable to do things before. And it's been, it has been frustrating. So I totally get that. But at the same time, I, I like the fact that they've been doing these faster releases. I mean, it's not, it's not perfect. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not knocking the faster relief cycle. I like it. It's good. It means that they're investing. It means we're going to get features quicker. And I just, part of me thinks we need a VM like you. Like and update on the VM and then test it out and make sure that it works before I update my actual machine. Maybe. I just ugh. Maybe. Uh, I would. I would definitely really. recommend having a development environment on VM. I find it extremely useful because you can you can ha- have something up and running in a debugger or whatever, and close your machine and go to a meeting, go do something else, open your machine, reconnect to the VM, and everything's still there. Um, for people who tend to do both development or debugging and meeting heavy having being able to have all that development environment on a machine that you can just close with what with a single click and reconnect to really easily is extremely useful i would definitely recommend it um and maybe that's where part of the frustration is because you for you you're having to like load it load it all up aren't you multiple times Get everything mm. up, getting everything up and running. You get it all up and running. Then you've got to actually you want to do some work on it. And then, well, knowing you, you're probably going to have to close it down and go to a meeting again anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's not you. Like, if it's like if I'm doing some kind of long term test, like in terms of like I need to debug something for a, a non trivial amount of time where I've got to leave it running. Um, it's a bit different. I never really have to be in that situation, but if I do, I can, you know, I can take my iPad to a meeting. It's not really a problem. And that's what I like about having my iPad, but 
usually I just unplug and I've still got Visual Studio running. I'll take my laptop to a meeting and then I'll plug it back in and I'll just continue. So it's not too much of a problem. Yeah. I'm but not... I, I, I still am a little bit dubious about like having remote virtual machines in Azure running development environments that I will need to use all the time because, you know, for one thing, like the place where we've been working at in terms of office wise lately is the internet connection has just been terrible. We've not had any internet. <laughs> like it's, you know, it's just not been great. Um, yeah, I must say that actually that only works. And I had this, when I was in the U S um, that only works when you've got an internet connection that works. Mm. That is true. So, but you know, I think I'm definitely, I think the way the tooling has gone, and like with the ASP.NET Core and um, well, so, know, so do you feel do you feel like the new tooling is better? Because obviously, so CS Proj for you, because you haven't this stuff hasn't been migrated before, right? So I wonder, I wonder if actually that's what it is. It's, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm also thinking like, but the thing is, we've got this new set of projects in, with all the new tooling and new projects in a. <laughs> solution folder basically along with all the legacy stuff i say legacy stuff we're going with the whole v current v next kind of naming and um i'm pretty sure there's something and i mean it's using a lot of stuff that is just unreasonably unreasonable like they've i'm not dissing any of these technologies right now by the way i'm just saying like they've got things like spec flow and loads of n unit stuff that's just mixed in with um all in the same solution yeah just everything is in the same same solution they've got IIS projects they've got I mean it does add to the overhead I mean I talked to you the other day about um, having SQL server projects right if you've got a SQL database project in uh, Visual Studio as part of your solution which often people do unless you're very specific about how you set it up it's going to create a local DB instance every time you load Visual Studio and it creates a model of that database in memory so that adds to the performance. If you've got two of those and then something else that's loading at more tooling, suddenly your Visual Studio becomes sluggish. And really what you want is, well, from a developer productivity point of view, you want it to be as quick as possible. I do wonder, like, just on that, like, renaming, because it uses StyleCop uh, and it uses the Roslyn Analyzers to do the renaming, if I, rem- if I remember. Or is it it's Microsoft's compiler services, like, analyzer, right? Yeah, Roslyn, so, yeah. Which is Roslyn, right? Yeah. Um, but sometimes, like, I was reading through the stack trace and didn't really mention Roslyn, so I'm kind of, it's weird because obviously they've got namespaces with Roslyn in it and namespaces without. But ultimately, the whole compiler infrastructure is Roslyn, so fine, Roslyn. I'm wondering if it's because the, there's a ton of DLLs in there that just don't, ha- they're all much older, uh, I say DLLs, assemblies in the project that don't have the analyzers, so it maybe tries calling the analyzers the, an- the analyzers are a different thing though the analyzers are essentially plugins on top yeah but but what i'm saying is the refactoring it, when, is done through roslin's compiler services yeah and i'm wondering if it's crashing because for some reason it's looking for i don't know or maybe stylecop i don't really know how it is works it the stylecop analyzers that you're using yeah, we've got style cop analyzers in there, but I'm I'm just wondering if it's going looking through like a set of analyzers in each project and doing different things based on. It could be, it could be. I uh, I, I think it's likely that it's the project or the solution setup, but yeah. I mean fundamentally, it all boils down to the fact that what developers and you know architects and anyone else who works on the code base want is they want to be able to just load this stuff up and it 
react quickly and just just work like because we all know yeah the 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 thing that uh that knocks you out of the zone is when you try and do something and then it says the visual studio's crashed and you're just like yeah and the problem is like i really i wish there was some way of them like I hate seeing it. it's like oh we're checking why Visual Studio stopped working and we're trying to fix it and then it's like well you know what's going to happen here it's just going to restart and it's like just why like sometimes right DevNV will crash out but it'll be because like F Sharp Interactive or something is crashed I can go into Task Manager well Process Explorer in this case and kill FSI and lo and behold DevNV starts responding again and it's like I wish there was a way of Visual Studio telling you which process that in, internally, you know, well, which fault processes. If you're using Process Explorer, you can just have a look yeah, at but the thread. I don't have enough time to get into <laughs> Process Explorer, find it, kill it before Visual Studio has already started to restart. That's true. That's so, true. so you I think, know. I think. Um, I mean, there's nothing we can do about this. We'll just have to. We'll just have to see see how it goes. But in general, while we're at it, let's just have a little bit of a, a rant about shoddy software when you try to get stuff yeah. done. It's like the worst uh, thing. Yeah, God, so I mean, another Microsoft product, it, right? Teams, right? Great. Like I do enjoy, I do quite enjoy using Teams when when it's used correctly. However, so so annoying in certain situations, right? In a, to be honest, in every situation, let's let's be honest, in every situation, I find CPU and memory usage is you know what right? too far too high. But it's like it's like Slack, right? I kind of let Slack get away with it, like it's it's high as well. But it's like you know what, like I at least it's responsive, it, right? exactly. No, well, but uh, we we know we okay, know yeah, <laughs> most of the time, but it feels more responsive. But Teams on my Mac, I don't know if you guys get this. But when, yes, when we Teams do. does I don't an even update, know what it is you're gonna don't even know what it's you're gonna say, but yes, we get it. <laughs> you're talking about when Teams does an update, and for me, and because it, I use multiple desktops, it just it just comes back yes. on and on any desktop it fancies. Yes. It's, and you're in the middle of doing something and it's like oh, And you right, have it in I'm, full I'm screen, back. so then it takes your entire full screen and all the focus of your application. So we don't yeah, so we don't have the full screen support, but it does exactly <laughs> yeah. the same thing. If you're on a virtual desktop, so say for example I put Teams and Outlook on the first desktop right? Because they're my communications app. Mm. And then I switch to another desktop where I'll have Visual Studio and I'll be busy doing stuff. And then all of a sudden teams will pop up on that desktop because it's updated. Yeah. And it just goes to the, to the, the, the desktop that it's on. Other apps don't seem to do this. Even worse sometimes it, it minimizes itself into my taskbar. So I have this little, uh, minimized loading teams screen. That's not actually loading. It's like frozen or something. It's just not loading. <laughs> And which means I don't get my notifications from Teams. So eventually my phone will go, oh, you know, someone said it on Teams. And I'm like, why am I not getting this on Mac? And I look down and it's minimized and still updating or like frozen. And it's super weird. And then I have to click it. And then it takes the entire screen over. And I'm just like, this is so bad. The notifications. So, I mean, I for the Windows point of view, I wish Teams um, used the universal Windows platform, really. Because uh, with the Universal Windows platform, you can get notifications even if the application isn't open, right? Even if the the you know yeah. it's installed on the machine, so it runs services in the background and so on. But it uh, so it can receive push notifications, but you don't necessarily need it to be open. And you get that with something like Skype, and Skype may have its own issues, but you get that with Skype. With Teams, you have to have it open to receive these notifications. So you've got a choice with that, which I suppose is similar to Slack. But like I say, I know that the platform can do this, but you have it open and then you get these uh, <laughs> custom 
weird notifications that appear. And it's just messing around with teams. It literally just crashed. Like, I literally just clicked on, ge- like, general, and the thing just went, not responding, not responding, and the whole thing just died. Sorry, continue. It looks exactly. like someone, no, it, the notifications look like someone, like, stood on, like, a purple suite and just, like, yeah, squashed it out. I, it's horrible. You've you got no choice about those notifications. And they, they literally conflict with the Windows notifications. Mm. Like, and they, and they don't go across desktop. So, mm. so where, whereas, whereas a Windows notification does, right? Which is the point, right? I get a calendar invite, uh, sorry, a, a calendar notification while I'm in Visual Studio on a different desktop, even if Outlook, um, you know, mail app or calendar app is on, is on the first screen. I still get that notification, but with Teams, that doesn't, that doesn't work. So I've just turned them off. Yeah. Because it's just, this, the, I find it too irritating. Instead, I just turn them off. So they don't use native notifications, which is a huge problem for, well, two reasons. One, it means that if I put my computer in do not disturb mode, I still get notifications, which is it's horrible still, yeah. when I'm presenting. Like, you know, I have, you know, something going on, right? And I'm trying to like keep my notifications down. I'm showing someone something. I need to do not disturb. And then it just shows anyway. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. And two, they overlay on native notifications. They don't yeah, fit in. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then, you know, even worse, right? Sometimes it like, I don't know how to explain this, but there's a very Windows like UI thing where it like slides over to the right while it's loading and like filling in and like kind of like it's like, uh, you know, minimizing or maximizing on Windows, but it does that on a Mac and it's like the worst experience. And it's like, I'm using a Mac, not a Windows computer. I just, right. I, 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 I just hate them. I understand, like, but I genuinely do not care about any of those issues apart, like, I would care about them if those were the issues, like, the biggest issues. For me, the biggest issues, or biggest issue, is just how slow it is. Right? Come it on. Is, it is too slow. It is It is too slow and it uses too much memory. Yeah, if I click on chat right now, three, two, one, it's still going, it's still loading. Right now I've got 11 chat windows in my recents. If I then click on one of my chats, one, two, three, four, there we go. Now it's loaded. Do you know what I mean? Switching between those tabs is too, it's just, it's just insane. And part of the problem with teams and, and don't get me wrong. I I actually, I actually really do like teams, right? I I honestly do. I just, it's, there are a few things about it that are frustrating, but because of the way that they split it on. So in Slack, of course you have channels and you have these conversations with like private conversations with people in teams they're split into two different things so you've got your teams that you're communicating with with the threaded replies which are extremely useful absolutely no complaints mm-hmm. yeah, about how definitely. that works once definitely. you get used to it it works really well but then you also have the chats and you have to switch between them mm. right so there's no way of getting a feeling for the kinds of messages you have in the chat or in the teams without actually switching and when switching takes multiple seconds it's that's that's no good. Yeah, and if you've got a lot, of, if you've got a load of people talking to you as well, and it's just like uh, you don't know what's going on, and also you don't get notifications for something you're not in. So if I'm in Teams, I don't need, I don't see notifications for chat. Uh, yeah, if you're in it, yeah, you don't see the notifications come up. You just see the number change. Exactly. And I think they just they, they just need to tweak that stuff. I like what it does, but um, I just I feel like they just need to um fix up some of the ways that the actual application runs inside of Electron. Yeah. Which it may be Electron's fault. I don't know. It's, I, I'm not even going to get but into that. I don't that even know I how don't... they've been, like, I know this sounds kind of stupid, but I don't know how they've been allowed to release 
this this Teams application with these na- these non native notifications, where there's this whole framework, especially on Windows, for these specific things, and they like internally. I don't understand why why they why, who who let them do it? Yeah, like who went? Yeah, we'll just build our own notifications. Let's not use the system wide stuff that actually has its own bloody benefits. I I I don't know. Presumably, it was quicker for them to get to release um it is worth mentioning because i i um i follow uh, a couple of people who work on teams on twitter and i do um i have got notifications for a couple of things on on user voice they are actively working on quite a few improvements to it um and because they've they've said yeah this should hope so well yeah but i this is this is the thing it updates and i always think is this the update that they bring this thing that they promised and oh no it isn't is, it is this is. the one that they're gonna bring this thing and no it isn't so i don't know they it it feels like maybe they're maintaining this version and then they're working on a, a big bang release it's going to modernize it quite a bit but it's pretty it's pretty poor to be in that works. situation though when they've only just released it like last you know it's last it's still year pretty new yeah it's still pretty new yeah and i, I feel like it should have improved should have improved a little bit more. And like I say, you know, I've got to kind of say this. I do like the way it works, especially for um, DevOpsy stuff. Like, um, I feel like it does, like you've got Teams, you've got things like Visual Studio Team Services and you've got Visual Studio and it's just, they all kind of hold together quite well and being in them, you know, works works nicely mm. um, when you're getting stuff done. I find I find having Teams is, is like the one place to go to where you can communicate with the wider team and with an individual and it just it's all in one place which is really good and you can do your your voice and video meetings all through that that's that's great i like that it's just it's just performance it's not what it does it's it's performance it's just yeah it's just too bad and the ram the ram the amount of ram it uses i have to regularly kill it and and, and reload it Thanks for listening to episode 16 of the Mavis Podcast. You can find the show notes for today's episode by going to mavispodcast.com slash 16. You can also tweet us your questions for answering on the show at Mavis Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Andrew Hathaway. You can find Julian on Twitter at Julian K. And Jordan is at Jordan is on fire on Twitter.